What you guys are about to hear is a message that I got to give with my own dad at a men's retreat in St. Louis. Now there's about 80 guys in the room from the ages of 17 all the way to about 80 years old. So every generation, my dad and I preach a message on the value of multi-generational partnership and sexual freedom. I went ahead and clipped off the intros at the beginning and we cut off the ministry time at the end. So you just have about an hour and 10 minutes of our message. Now I'll be honest, the audio is not the best, but I think the message is important enough to upload. And so I hope that you guys are encouraged as you listen. Stephen, as we begin to dive in, I just want to invite you guys to place your hand on your heart. And I just want to ask the Holy Spirit to begin to move on our hearts. Holy Spirit, we love you. God, I ask you to begin to, to soften our hearts in this room to receive from you. Mm, yes, Lord. Jesus, place your hand on the hearts in this room. God, move in power tonight. Move in power tonight. Yes, Lord. I just want you to repeat after me. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Move on my heart tonight. Move on my heart tonight. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's jump into it. So I had the privilege, of course, of, of not just raising Nathan. We had this awesome relationship because I got to be his coach. You know, he was he was in competitive wrestling and, and played some soccer and football. And, and I got to be, uh, it, it was awesome getting to be his, his actual coach growing up in youth sports and then got to assist, be an assistant coach once he got to, to middle school and high school. And, and so we had this great relationship, man. Everything was poured into our, our firstborn son, you know, and uh, he was my pride and joy. Uh, of course, and, and a little bit to the neglect of my the, my next two, um, you know, and they'll they'll remind me of that every once in a while. But nonetheless, this was I mean everything was poured into this relationship, right, uh, with my wife and I both, and um, uh, and but with but one of the things that we did is uh, grew up wrestling. I grew up. Uh, uh, doing youth wrestling and wrestled all through all the way through high school. It was my joy to see my son do that. You know, most of the time I enjoyed it, and um, most yes, there were times when I didn't. And uh, um, but if you have coached your kids or cheered for them, you know what I'm talking about. It's not always enjoyable, is it? Sometimes they they lose. Sometimes. They, they don't do as good as you expect them to do, and that's hard, you know, and, and, but nonetheless, it was a great uh, privilege just watching him uh, grow up that way. Um, go ahead. Yeah, so one of the things that we want you guys to understand is we had a really great relationship. It was strong. Like I said, he was our, my pastor and my coach in multiple store, sports all growing up. And yet, and so, so someone might ask the question, how then can a young man like yourself get wrapped up in pornography? And 
We want to dive into that. We dive into that in this book. We want to dive into it some tonight. Here's where one of the major breakdowns happened in our relationship. Even though we had a strong relationship in many different areas, there is a specific category within our relationship called sexuality and that entire conversation where that bridge wasn't maintained throughout the years. That bridge of communication, that bridge of conversation to where I get to about eighth grade and I'm starting to hit puberty and I'm starting to have a sex drive for the first time, starting to get involved with different girls and different things, having these different desires for the first time. And my dad and I hadn't cultivated that particular part of our relationship where we were, where I was able to engage with him uh, over the different things that I was beginning to feel for the first time. And so what that did was I found myself feeling like I needed to isolate myself in this particular area, even though we had a strong relationship in many other areas. Yeah, we did a good job in some ways as a family. We protected our computer, right? We made sure that, um, that you know, Nathan didn't have access to the computer. It, you know, it's not like he had... We did some things very well, right? No TV in his bedroom. It, there were no smartphones at the time. You know, our computer was in an open space in our house, you know, which was a protection for both me and him, you know, and so that... It, you know, there was nothing hidden, right? You know, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And so we did things like that. Well, we had conversation um, early on. And I think one of the mistakes that I made was thinking that that was enough. Okay? And um, I had this, this mentality, oh, good, I got that conversation out of the way. You're right? We talked about uh, sexual temptation. We talked about that kind of stuff. And now... I can get back to uh, whatever I was doing, you know, essentially. And that's not something now. If he has any questions, he'll come to me, you know, after that. And that really set up this lack of communication in this specific area. So even though I was intimately involved with his life, you know, daily connecting with him, writing, you know, back and forth to practice, back and forth to competitions. You know, we spent hours and hours, just the two of us together having great conversations, processing life, we almost never processed this, the, the, the concept of sexuality, right? And, and, uh, and sexual morality. Um, you better tell the, the dream. In the spring of 2019, I had a dream that I wanna share with you guys today. And we're gonna share a few different dreams. That's one of the reasons why my ministry is called Dreamer Boy Ministries, because the Lord loves to speak to me through dreams. And I believe that anything that you hear from me tonight about how the Lord uh, relates to me, if you're provoked by that, ask the Lord for it. He'll give it to you. Anything that you hear from me tonight is not exclusive for me. And I hope you don't hear different things like, wow, that's really awesome for him. But I, I, want, I want you to, if you see something on my life that you're provoked in, grab a hold of it. The Lord will release it to you too. But I had a dream in, in 2019, this was three years ago, where in the dream I was in a wrestling match. And I was in this glass room. 
And I, there was a, a wrestling mat in the glass room. And I was wrestling this really tough opponent. And I was wrestling out of my mind. And it, you know, if you, if you were a wrestler, you know sometimes you have good matches and sometimes you don't have a good match. I was having an amazing match. I was doing everything right. And there's three periods in a wrestling match. I was going into the third period and I was only winning one to nothing. And, and so this guy was, was really strong and I remember getting set up for the third period and this guy, he, he, we were trying to get set up and he wasn't lining up right. He was lining up illegally and the referee wasn't calling anything about it. And I realized I didn't have a coach in my corner. And I, I, I essentially in the dream called a timeout. I went up to the wall, which was a glass wall and I could see through the glass wall and I saw my, my dad, my uncle, and basically all my dad's generation, my relatives, my aunts and uncles, my mom and dad, they were all sitting at, in, uh, at a table just conversing, ignorant to the wrestle that I was in, in the room, just uh, in the other room. And in the dream, I bang on the wall. And I say, hey! And I, it, it startled everyone at the table. My, my dad looked over and I said, hey, aren't you going to help me out in this? And in the, in the dream, he, he stood up and he came into the room. And do we want to share the whole thing? <laughs> How long? And so, so we're, we're going we're gonna to hold off and we're going to share the rest of it here in a minute. But we believe that this picture that I had in this dream it is, is very, it's an illustration to what so many young people are, are enduring, whether it's in this particular category of, of, sexual, of sexual wrestle, or whether it's just a wrestle of being a young man or woman in this culture, even if they are wrestling out of their mind, doing everything right, they're barely getting by. Barely getting by. And in the dream, there's this illustration of like, the generation above me was ignorant to the wrestling match. And so, we want, I want to just share a little bit of what that wrestling match looked like for me as a, as a young man starting in eighth grade. In eighth grade, I... I had, at that point in my life, I was 14 years old, I, I had been pretty protected from pornography. I knew that my friends, some of my friends watched it, but I, I was pretty, I hadn't, I hadn't dove into that world yet myself. At that, at that time, I was 14 years old, I had my first uh, middle school girlfriend. And, you know, we can all look back to our middle school girlfriend and, and think about like, yeah, that wasn't that big of a deal, but at the time it was a big deal for me as a 14-year-old boy, and it made it even a bigger deal for me whenever she broke up with me because we had engaged in a little bit of sexual activity, and so it heightened the experience of, of the heartbreak. And I remember after that of just being like really heartbroken by her breaking up with me, I remember my heart hurting. And I, I remember thinking to myself, man, I, I really just want something to make me feel better. My friends were telling me about this, 
this cool thing called internet pornography. You can essentially type in anything you want and you can watch it all. And so at the time, I, I, was, I was just like, okay, you know, I didn't have any plans of being addicted to pornography. I thought maybe I would just engage a little bit and it would you know, help me with this relationship heartbreak. And so it was very easy. Got on the home computer well, you know, no one was looking and, and looked up a, a couple of things, watched a few things and, you know, took what some of my friends had told me about, here's how you masturbate. I didn't even know what, what was supposed to happen. I didn't have a concept for an orgasm at this time, but the third time I watched pornography, uh, I had an orgasm. And, you know, people talk about all the time, uh, or not all the time, but different psychologists and stuff talk about it, it takes three exposures to pornography for you to be uh, hooked on it. And then you add on the, just the, the power of an orgasm, and that really locked me in. So that really took me into something that I did not have any plans on being uh, you know, that involved, but next thing I knew, this addiction to pornography began to really consume my life. And it went from just being something that let me just dabble in and just have a look at here to I really honestly really enjoyed watching porn. Um, the pleasures of a forbidden woman, uh, the, the, forbidden, the, the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey is what Proverbs 5.3 says. And in other words, they taste good. The pleasure is real. And essentially the next verse is, but they will kill you. <laughs> And, uh, you know, but in those earlier stages, I, I wasn't experiencing a real consequence to it. And so I was just in this man, this world of sexual pleasure that I hadn't experienced before. And it began to consume my life. And, um, you know, over time, one of the things that sin does is it, the, the, just the appetite for sin grows over time. You find yourself months now years into it and the stuff that initially turned you on doesn't turn you on quite the same and so now it's got to be a little bit more hardcore um, stuff that you're watching and um, eventually well it's not enough to just watch I really like to engage in some of this stuff myself which led to me uh, you know by my sophomore year of high school getting into a sexual relationship where I'm just, you know, in a relationship with a, a girl and for about 10 month period, it's me sneaking out three or four times a week and, you know, going and hooking up and then, um, you know, spending hours there from midnight to 4 a.m. a few times a week and coming back home, sleeping for a couple of hours and then going to school, all of this, in secrecy. All of this in, you know, obviously ignorant to my parents, but you know, I'm the I'm the pastor's son. Yeah. I'm a quarterback from my high school. I'm outspoken somewhat, although it was not as much in this season, but leading up to this season for sure that I was a Christian. And so, you know, obviously the height of uh, hypocrisy um, of course as well and so in this wrestle and I'm not wrestling out of my mind I'm actually I'm actually getting the tar beat out of me 
by what I'm wrestling. And you know, for me, I didn't realize I was addicted to it until I, I, I kind of, I, I realized I, you know, I, I had an experience with the Holy Spirit when I was really young. And so all throughout this, this whole story that I'm telling you about, I had the Holy Spirit inside of me. Yeah. So I had the Holy Spirit telling me and speaking to me during these different sexual interactions. And I'm like doing my best to stiff arm him. And yet I would, and yet at one point I didn't feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit anymore. And it scared me because in the back of my mind, I had this picture of this man of God that I wanted to be in my 20s. And somewhere along the way, I realized I wasn't just going to wake up and be that guy. And so I began to, in the midst of this sexual relationship, even invite the Holy Spirit to break my heart over what I was doing. And I'm realizing, man, I don't actually want to be in this anymore. And that's when I realized I was addicted to it because I, I couldn't stop. And that's a good indication. If you don't want to do it and you still do it, you're addicted. So I would go and I would engage with this girl. I would drive home and I would cry my eyes out. I would cry my eyes out on the way home, driving home, because I felt so enslaved and so trapped. And I'm in the midst of this wrestle all by myself. And another indication of addiction is it becomes disruptive and destructive. And so Nathan was experiencing that also. It was disrupting his life because he was so committed to acting out uh, to, with the pornography and then this sexual relationship. He was submarining his sleep cycle, right? He, he spent um, months, uh, was it your sophomore year? That, that same year with swollen tonsils. And, you know, and he'd come to, uh, to his mom and dad, you know, we're trying to figure out, well, I don't know why your tonsils are swollen. We need to see the doctor. You don't have any other symptoms. He spent months with swollen tonsils because of this. It was his, his obsession with this relationship. He wasn't getting the sleep that he needed. And he was sleeping through class. He was taking a toll on his physical health. His football, which he loved, was suffering. Okay, so it was having this ugly effect but that's part of the wrestle he was wrestling with the lord with himself with his flesh all of that was going on and we were oblivious to it and that's the picture that we got in the dream is we as as his parents were completely unengaged in the struggle that he was going through and, and you might like how think how can you do that you know well we were naive Okay, we had no concept that um, that this would of the the level of pornography that he was exposed to, and that his mother and I didn't experience anything like that when we were in school. Right? We didn't have explicit relationships going through high school. We were completely clueless as to what. Um, he may, we assume that his, his upbringing bringing was going to be similar to ours, right? And that was a, it was a terrible assumption to make. We were just oblivious, you know, in many ways. And like I said before, we were just uncomfortable with the conversation. The thought of revisiting this conversation that we had already had, I was super uncomfortable with. Again, my fault, right? But... 
It's like I think back, well, nobody had those conversations with me, right? How many? That's one of the, the flaws of our generation and my parents' generation is we didn't talk. They didn't talk about that stuff, right? Nobody had a conversation with me about pornography. I don't remember the word pornography being mentioned in my house one time ever. I don't remember the, the, the thought of, I mean, anything kind of sexual immorality. I didn't have that conversation. And my brother and I did pretty good going through high school without that conversation. And so, but the point is, now I'm raising my own son. I don't know how to do this. And, it, and it, the thought of doing it, I kind of felt like, yeah, I'm supposed to do this. I need to do this, but I don't know how. And it makes me really uncomfortable. And, and you just justify your inaction. You know, that's what, kind of what I did. Oh, I had that conversation when he was 10. You know, if he has problems, he'll, he'll, he'll bring it up. He'll ask me about it. And anyway, all those things just equate to being unengaged, just like the dream showed, completely unengaged. And, that, and of course, the dream, we, we feel, we're convinced that dream represents a lot more than just Nathan and, and me. You know, it represents the, a whole generation that's struggling with, that's, that's in this wrestle for their life and an older generation that doesn't understand it at all. That doesn't understand it, or it, it, in some cases is oblivious to it, or just generally unengaged in the in the process. And, but that's where I was. Yeah. So this wrestle for me continued all through high school. It was at the end of my sophomore year that I, the Lord helped me walk away from that particular sexual relationship that I was in. Praise God. And that, that, it was that was a huge step. And, you know, it was about my junior year that I really began to take steps of like, Lord, I really want to take steps towards being that, that young man of God that you've called me to be. And yet I'm still in the midst of a addiction that is damning over my life. And so, you know, through my junior and senior year, it, would, it, it looked like, man, okay, let me just hold out and grit my teeth and go as long as I can without watching, without masturbating, and then it would, uh, you know, in a moment of weakness, fall back into it, and then just, well, let me give myself, probably give myself to it for a couple of weeks, and just this back and forth wrestle, or, you know, I'd go, I'd, I'd be fine for a little while to have a great disappointment in my life, or with something related to athletics, like, you know, there was one point in my senior year where I was the starting quarterback, I got benched, um, you know, I'll, something to make me feel better, hook up here, something like that. So different sporadic sexual encounters throughout the rest of my high school life, but really trying to, to live, a, a, you know, a life worthy of the call, if you will. But it wasn't until, you know, this, this wrestle even went even to after I graduated from high school, I went down... Uh, went to a discipleship program down in southern Missouri in Branson, uh, right out of high school, and and down there, I, the war against this intensified for me. Like now, I had some other young young men, 18, 19 year olds, who were like, we're kind of in the same boat, and we really want to go after this thing hard. Like, let's come up with strategies together, and we came up with all kinds of things, you know, to help us. Let's take the let's take the door hinges off the doors and. Let's, you know, nobody's allowed to take a shower unless someone's around and, 
You know what I mean? And uh, man, I remember one point we had a, a particular friend, and just the way that they, or we had accountability groups is what they call them. And so every week we would kind of get together and we would share, like, how did everyone do this week? You know, and um, we were, were we able to make it through the week without watching pornography, masturbating? And we had one particular guy that we were really trying to help, and his addiction to pornography, even at, at 19 years old, you know, was 10 years long. And, you know, we're, we're trying to help him, and we decided to implement consequences. Okay, you, okay, we get to the end of the week and there's something that we're going to have consequences. And we have this, I don't know if you guys know it's Southern Missouri, but there's a lake called Tanicomo. And it's a cold lake. Freezing. Freezing cold lake. And so we would be like, all right, you can't make it, if you make it to the end of the week and, and it's not a clean slate, we're going down and you've got to jump in the lake. And you know, it's February or whatever. And so we did that for a couple of weeks. That never worked. <laughs> well, let's up it a little bit. Here's what we'll do now. Now, if we make it to the end of the week and you engaged with this stuff, you're not going to have to jump in the lake, but you're going to have to watch all of your friends jump in the lake for you. And we're like, surely this will really do it. <laughs> and I share these stories because I, I want you guys to see this, like, we're going after this thing. We're doing our yeah. best, right? Yeah. And I, I think, I think there's. I, I'd like to see see more of this violent run after after freedom amongst young people. I don't see it as much, but you know, I'll never forget this experience. We go down. Even you know the the idea of my friends are going to have to pay for it didn't stop him. Couldn't keep him. We go down. All right, man. We love you. We're gonna jump in for you, and we're gonna we're gonna suffer the consequence, if you will. And we actually jumped off this big tower, which made it even more painful. But I'll never forget watching my friend watch us jump into this lake, and how much that broke him. And. And I don't share this, I don't, I don't say broke him in a good way, this broke his spirit. He concluded during that time that I'm never going to be free from pornography and masturbation. And that particular story does not have a good ending. That, that particular friend became embittered after that, has re since rejected the Lord, and, you know, had a would say he had a horrible experience at that discipleship program because, and I think that's, a, a, you know, a lot of guys feel that way. It's like, I gave my best shot for this. And not even like my own friends taking the fall for me can keep me from this. This thing has power over me and I'm always going to be addicted to it. Well, so one of the things we want to share tonight is there's a different way. There's something greater than just the, than accountability groups and willpower, right? And um, one of the things is, uh, is illustrated by the rest of the dream. In the dream that Nathan had, as he comes to the glass windows and he bangs on it, he says, hey, can somebody help me in here? You know, when I got up and 
I was like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. I, I, I walk into the glass, into the glass room for the third period, and Nathan just goes out there and begins to destroy his opponent. And it's no longer a wrestling match. It's an MMA match. And he just beats the crap out of this guy, destroys him. And, it, and that, that was the dream. But the whole difference was everything changed whenever the, the generation above him partnered with him in the fight. It, it immediately infused him with power, right? Power and strategy and everything else to win what he, what he was just hanging on by the, the, by the skin of his teeth beforehand. Immediately, whenever we partnered with him, it changed everything. And we believe that is a strategy. When he had that dream and shared it with me, we knew that was a strategy from the Lord for, to help for, that involved the generations partnering together to win the battles. And, and so we immediately started you know, thinking, I'm a, I'm a Bible teacher, right? I'm not a dreamer boy. I'm the Bible teacher. And so I'm immediately thinking, okay, where do we see this in the Bible, right? It's all over the Bible. Okay, God is the God of generational legacies. He's not just the God of Abraham, is He? He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's a multi-generational, He's a multi-generational God. We see it all over the place. And one of the ways we saw it, one of the places I want to look at briefly is in the story of Esther. Okay, so you know the story of Esther. It doesn't involve pornography, but it involves a fight for a whole generation of people. Okay, and here's the thing that we noticed. Is, is in the details of the story, we see something of the glory of God. I grew up hearing this phrase, uh, the devil is in the details. Well, it's just the opposite. Okay, God is in the details. When you look into the word in the details, you see the glory of God. It's not the devil in there. It's the glory of God in the details of the word of God. And this is one of those. Um, there's a man named Mordecai. And Mordecai took care of Esther as his own daughter. They were literally cousins. If you go back and look, it's not an uncle. It's not Uncle Mordecai, like the VeggieTales video says. But um, they were literally cousins, but Mordecai was older and, and was like a father figure. It says multiple times, raised Esther as his own because her parents had, had passed away. But... Mordecai is the one, not only did he raise her, he's the one that put her forward to be considered um, uh, by the king, right? Added her to the, to the harem of, the, of women to be considered as the next queen. I'm, I'm trusting that you have a grasp of the story, a general grasp of the story. Well, this process was a year-long process of grooming these women to go before the king and let him choose. Well, here's what it says, and in, in, this is all in chapter 2 of Esther. Verse 11 says this, During this season, this year-long season, it says, And every day Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. So here's the point, is Mordecai was intimately engaged in what was going on with Esther. He didn't just raise her, you know, to be a young lady and then kicked her out of the nest and say, you're on your own now. He was intimately engaged in what was going on. 
because he was still partnering with her to see her succeed. Here's the thing. Esther had a destiny on her life. We all know that. She couldn't have reached it without Mordecai doing his part, doing multiple parts. That's the thing. It took more than just Mordecai raising her. It took more than just putting her forward. Here, Esther, go for it. It was more than that. It was the daily connection with Esther. Daily positioning himself outside of the court to, to, to stay on top of what was going on and what was happening. And more than that, it goes on to describe Mordecai was giving her strategy to succeed. He's the one that told her, don't tell about your heritage. Don't tell that you're, in, that you're a Hebrew. It, it's not the right time to do that. That's divine strategy that Mordecai was feeding to Esther to help her succeed. If there's more than that. At some point along the way, it's hard to tell. I think this is after she was chosen, chosen queen. Mordecai gets insight that would save her destiny again. The Bible describes in Esther 2 that, that there was a plot to kill the king. Two of, his own, two of the king's own men rise up, rose up to kill him. Mordecai gets wind of the plot, feeds it to Esther. Esther tells the king and the plot gets thwarted. Oh my gosh, we saw that and we like... And we just realized, we began talking, we're like, Mordecai was an intercessor for Esther. They were partnered together, and Esther never would have survived, never would have become the queen, never would have reached her destiny if Mordecai wasn't there, intimately connected, interceding on our behalf, and in the process, getting divine Revelation, okay, it doesn't describe divine revelation here, but he found stuff out that nobody else knew. I think that we would call that divine revelation. It's kind of like, it reminded me of when Jesus came to Peter, his son in the faith, and said, Peter, the devil is after you, and I've prayed for you so that you will survive the onslaught. This is what's happening. Wow. Jesus interceding, partnering with Peter, you're not going to be on your own. I'm leaving and you're not on your own. I'm praying for you even now. That's what Mordecai did for Esther. I'm interceding on your behalf. Foiling the plans that would thwart your destiny, that would take you out, would take the king out. And of course, if the king goes, Esther's destiny is over as well. There's something even greater about the story or equally as great you know the story how the it all plays out not only are the people of god spared the, the jews that esther interceded for but in that process mordecai himself gets promoted he becomes the right hand of the king he becomes the second most powerful man in the kingdom here's the point Mordecai had a destiny on his life too that he never would have reached without Esther, without Esther doing her part. So we have two generations, generations locking arms together to see their destinies fulfilled. Neither one of them would have reached their destiny had the other one not been engaged in the process. 
partnering together. This is the strategy of God to see you and me reach our destinies, to see Him and me fulfill the destiny that God has for us, to see the old men in this room and the young men and every man in between fulfill our destinies. The strategy of the Lord is to lock arms together, to engage with each other, to see it come to pass. Everybody see what, I'm, what we're saying here? Yeah. Man, I, I love that so much. You know, this, is, this particular story is where we get that phrase, for such a time as this. Yes. You know, we love that phrase. I love that phrase in, in the church. Perhaps we were placed here for such a time as this. Actually, Mordecai says that about Esther, actually. That's yeah. where we get that. And I, I like that concept because myself and the young people in this room, we're young people in this generation for such a time as this. Esther was in her position for such a time as that. And yet that still didn't negate the fact that just because we're called for this particular generation does not mean we don't need the partnership and fathering from the generations before us. Exactly. Mordecai was called for such a time as this too. It wasn't, right. He was speaking that over Esther, but the, the same truth was on him as well. It was just as true for him as it was for Esther. He was born for this time. Esther could have turned around and said, Mordecai, no, you're, you, you were born for such a time as this. They both were, and we all are. The young people are born for a special time. They're born for such a time as this. They are in a generation that you and I cannot answer for, just like you and I are in a generation that they can't fulfill. We have challenges. This is one of our challenges. This is one of our challenges to not turn our backs on the young generation, on the, on the generations that have come after us but to engage, to not leave them on their own, to wrestle with all the weird things. It's so easy for us, and I've seen it, and I've felt it. I see it in, my, in, in the older generations above me. i felt it myself. The tendency to say, man, those Gen Zs are weird. They're just, I don't know what to do with them. I don't understand them. They're just, they, they're a mess. They're in a mess. The world is a mess. I can't wait to get out of here. And that's just, that's the opposite. That's the recipe for failure. That's the recipe that, that leaves young people addicted to pornography. It's not the strategy of the Lord. Yeah. Strategy is to partner together to do what we otherwise couldn't do by ourselves. And I love how you alluded to just the obstacle of the older generations looking to the younger ones and like they look to them with pride in their hearts as they're, they're so far gone and they don't hold to the same moral values and it's going off the rails. And in the same way, my generation looks to the older generation and thinks you guys are washed up. You guys are, are you don't know this world. You don't, you don't even know how to work the different things. Yeah. 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 And, and there's... Is the greatest obstacle to generational partnership yes. is pride. Yes. It's the same whether you're an older man or a younger man. It's pride. And it, it flies right in the face of the Lord's narrative 
that we need each other. Yeah. I have it. My, my father-in-law, bless his heart, epitomizes this, this pride of the older generation. This pride that says, ah, nothing, nothing since 1960 has been any good. <laughs> right? I mean, you've heard this, perhaps. Maybe you feel it. I don't know. But that's, that's, everything is bad. Oh, I hear it, everything. There hasn't been any good music put out since 1960. Oh, the tractors these days are terrible. I've got a 1960 so-and-so that's best machinery in the world. Best machinery in the whole country. Oh, I've got this, my friend has this motor in his barn over here. It's the best motor in the country. Oh yeah, when, when was that? From 1972. You know, I mean, it's everything. And, and it, it causes, he has this real bitterness. And it, if, if I thought it was him, just him, I wouldn't be sharing this. Right? It's, a, it's pride that keeps a whole generation, to, that causes them to shut out the younger generations. Right? And say, nothing is as good as it used to be. They're, they're not as tough as we were. It goes on and on. Right? Oh, if they had it lived when we did, you know, or we could do this, we could do this and that, and nobody could ever since we were, you know, that age. And it, it's never been as good. It's just, that's just pride that says, and to, oh, and so the other word is, we can't learn anything from these young guys. That comes up all the time, right? But then it's just the opposite. I mean, it, it's the same on the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, I had a, just quickly, I had a, had a dream some years ago about how I was playing in a baseball game. And I, in, in the game, I ran up to the stands where my dad and my grandfather were. And my dad gave me a bite of some barbecue that he was eating. And then my grandfather gave me a bite of his hot dog that he was eating. And I woke up from the dream and the Lord spoke to me and he said, you might be called for such a time as this. You might be in the game right now in a, in a way that they are not. But you have, there, there's real meat that you need from both of those generations. Your dad's generation is going to be able to give you a particular flavor, the barbecue. Your grandfather's generation will give you the hot dog, a different flavor. And both of those meats and those dreams were sustenance to me that I needed to actually play. That's so good. And so, obviously... This is something that we really grabbed a hold of after I was already a young adult. Something interesting about just our family is, well, honestly, I'm the oldest of six kids. And so my dad has another son who is 11 years younger than me. His name's Justice. Just turned 14 this year. And, and so we've just been, uh, over the last five or six years beginning to talk about, man, how can, how can we partner with Justice and Ella? He's actually a twin. Justice and Ella who are coming up. How can we implement some of these principles that we're talking about to help set them up for greater success than perhaps what me and, and my right. other siblings directly below me so this is an example of now, Nathan and I, since we're learning this, now we're going to partner together to, to see a better way for my younger kids, right? Surely, between the two of us, 
We've learned something and we can, we can help our, now, now my younger children, not uh, fall through in the same, you know, uh, pits, you know, fall through the same traps, right? And, and this is exactly what we're doing. So he's been on my case for, for years now and, and his uncle's case, right? And some other friends that we have. And he's been pleading us, man, you've got to talk to your sons, talk to your sons early, you know, like when they're eight, nine years old. And we, and we, and we were starting to do this now because he's telling me, you know, because I'm now learning from him, right? That's the, that's the point. Say, man, I don't know how to do this. You've learned some stuff. Now you're helping me do this. And we're partnering together. And so not only am I talking to my son as he's now he's eight, nine, ten years old, but now, but he's also talking to his younger brother, right? And how many know the the ten year old listens to the twenty year old a lot better than he listens to the forty year old, right? Or forty five or whatever. So we're we're partnering together. So now we're both having conversations with it. And so this is just to to illustrate um, that we're seeing some success. Uh, Nathan has a conversation with Justice one day after after church. You want to just tell just to tell that story real quick? Do you remember it? I can can tell it if you don't remember. (laughs) I I don't remember it probably as well as you do actually. But so you tell that. But but let me just say. Going back to what we said earlier, how that the gap between our relationship was this communication in the area right. related to sexuality. One of the our strategies that we have implemented with Justice and Ella as they begin to come of age, if you will, is normalizing the conversation of sexuality. Right. And you know, somewhere along the way, that conversation has become taboo in the church. That conversation has become taboo in the Christian home. And it's not taboo at their school, in their locker room, or in the world. And and so... So that's a perfect example. This is something I didn't learn. I didn't learn from from my people. I didn't learn from the generation above me. I didn't learn from my own generation. I'm learning from the younger generation. He's in my ear. Dad, you've got to talk about this stuff. You have to have these conversations... So because they're having the conversation to school, you have to have them here at home. So he feels comfortable talking to you. This was the failure is that he as good as our relationship was as he was a teenager, he didn't feel comfortable talking to me about this thing. Right. And so to, to see justice succeed, we've got to have these conversations until he knows that he can talk to me about this. And so uh, so one day after church. Nathan uh, has justice in the car. Justice, what did you learn about today? Uh, oh, temptation. We talked about temptation. Oh, really? Well, what kind of stuff um, did you talk about? Or what kind of stuff are you tempted about? And justice says, oh, cussing. You know, he's like 11 at this time. Cussing, uh, fifth grade, right? Fifth or so. And uh, um, not wearing the same clothes every day. And, okay. Um, and so, okay. so right in that moment... Nathan has a decision. Do I, do I be vulnerable and invite justice into the, an understanding of my own temptations? Mm. Right? And knowing because of his experience, he knows this is important. And so he did. He engaged justice. Justice, you know, I'm tempted too. What do you think I'm tempted with? And justice says, uh, money. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is what justice said. Uh, 
making babies. You know? And it, that's, that's funny, but here's the deal. Here's an 11-year-old kid. This is on his mind. He knows that this is a deal. He doesn't know how to talk about it, really. Right? He's filling it out. Is this okay to talk about? And Nathan says, oh, you mean sex? Yeah. So now, Justin's just learned something. This is a pivotal moment. He just learned, oh, I can, it's okay to talk about that with my big brother, right? And then, so then they get home, and, and so Nathan brings me into the conversation, right? So Justice, tell Dad what we were talking about in the car. Oh, we were talking about temptation. Yeah, yeah. And, and what, did, what were some of my temptations? And Justice tells it. Well, sex. So now, all of a sudden, just in that one conversation... Now Justice knows it's a safe, he's safe, it's a safe place to say the word sex mm. and to have a conversation, not just now, not just with his brother, he, he feels safe enough to have it with him, right? And so that's just another conversation. Now, it wasn't the first time we talked about it, it may be the first time in a while, you know? But then, but he's constantly filling out, is this okay to talk about Right? And even the cussing thing, this is just a, these are little things, but they're, they, they have significance. Even the, the cussing issue. You know, here, I as a, as a father I have a chance. Okay, do I say, oh, yeah, cussing is bad, man. You don't do that. You'll get your mouth washed out with soap. You know, that's naughty. Or the other approach is, oh, yeah, man, I remember when I was started cussing. I was about your age, too. When I tried to cuss and I and thought that was a cool thing to do and my sister heard it and told on me and I got my mouth washed out with soap and I decided that wasn't very cool anymore. And, you know, so now, so I tell him that story. All of a sudden, I'm vi- inviting him in rather than trying to, trying to show this, have this persona, oh, you shouldn't do that. I would never do anything like that. The same thing with Nathan. Oh, no, I don't have temptations. No, now we're being vulnerable and inviting him into this conversation where, where now Justice walks away, huh, my dad is just like me. I'm not that different, right? The things that I'm experiencing, my dad has gone through. My brother has gone through those same kind of things. So I don't have to hide those things from my dad. And I hope one of the things that you're picking up on is that vulnerability piece is right. such a key to this. Bringing our, the young generation into this place of, of comfortability and relatability. You know, that's something that I think many young people struggle with in their teenage years and growing up is that they never heard the older generation's share of the different struggles or temptations that they're starting to enter into. And so whenever they start to, they don't know if it's safe to engage or initiate these conversations and I, I truly believe that we have a responsibility as the ones who have gone before to help create that context of, of safety and vulnerability and that this one of the things that we want to uh, emphasize is this must be maintained throughout the years just because that that was strong Whenever your son was 11 years old doesn't mean that it's strong when he's 13 years old or when he's 16 years old. This, just because you had the conversation that one time some years ago. No, I believe that the Lord wants to begin to cultivate in Christian culture a normalization 
of sexual conversations in the context of 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 the church with with older men with older with younger men older women with younger women and begin to remove this this thing that's taboo over this whole conversation yeah so just a couple of weeks ago in the super bowl now justice is 14 and um, the, the we're watching the super bowl it's, and so it's halftime and we get up that's time we all go to the kitchen and get some food or go to the bathroom and i, I noticed i come back out of the bathroom and justice is the only one in the living room with the tv and it's on gun smoke gun smoke's on tv you know what gun smoke is <laughs> Matt, you know? i'm like what, what happened to the to the super bowl and he says he's the only one in the room and he says, ah, oh, the, the halftime show was inappropriate, so I changed the channel. Amen. Wow. You know, I, I remember when Justin, when Nathan was eight years old, I remember training him, you know, during the halftime show or inappropriate co uh, commercials, we would be like, Justice, eyes on me, you know, and we would re redirect his eyes from the TV, you know, and we did those kind of things. But now this is something totally different. Justice all by himself in the room. The only one in the room gets up and, or not gets up and turns. That shows how old I am. Finds a remote and changes the channel, right? So he changed. Now, like Nathan was saying, this doesn't mean, you know, I walk out, I drop the mic. You know, I won. We won. Justice is the winner, right? And we all won. No, that's that's foolish to think that now it's all the battle's been won. No, it's just starting. He's 14. He just turned 14. The battle's fixing to kick in the high gear. But but what we've done is we've laid some groundwork. We've, we've got the pregame, so at least now he's more prepared. He's ready for the fight in a way that he never would have been before. Right? And so we know the, the fight will rage. I can't, I can't say, okay, you've got this. Now that, now that the match is starting, I'm going to go back and eat, you know, sit down with my wife and eat. No, I've got to stay engaged. That's the point. We have to stay connected yeah. and, and continue to fight on each other, for each other, and on each other's behalf. Yeah. And I just want to speak real quickly to maybe your a father in this room and your children are past that stage yeah. you know that window of what we're talking about with my my little brother well I, my my sons or daughters are they're in their teenage years they're young adults already and i feel like growing up yeah growing up maybe i feel like i've missed that opportunity and i i just want to speak against that lie hmm. yeah There's never a greater time than right now to begin to engage in the warfare over your children. Or grandchildren. Or your grandchildren. Or other people's children. To take that place as one who contends for them to begin to... Maybe your relationship isn't, you know, isn't in a place where you can engage in a relational type of way where we're talking about this same stuff, but you absolutely can begin to take a stand for them in the place of prayer and begin to contend for them. You know, we didn't hit on this that much with Mordecai, but you know, we just talked about this. What do you think Mordecai was doing all day 
when he's walking up and down the court outside of the king's court, I guarantee you he's interceding for Esther. And that is one of the most powerful weapons of warfare that we have is the, the prayers and, and intercession um, related to the younger generation. Yeah. So we want to... Oh, we need to share this. So this is a strategy from the Lord, but, but how many of you know the Lord has other ways of setting people free from addictions? And, uh, and we want to hear from Nathan's story of how he got set free from five years of, of porn, porn and, and masturbation. And uh, that came from an encounter that he had with the Lord. Um, you might guess that it was a dream. <laughs> but go ahead. Yeah, so this is the fall of, of 2015. And I'm... D down in Branson at this discipleship program, I described the wrestle that I was in leading up to this. And I, you know, I had experienced a, a, some weeks of, of what I felt like was freedom, thought maybe I was beating this. And I decided to go home for Thanksgiving break for the first time since I had moved out of my parents' house and just, just got slammed by the enemy. Every single day I was at home for that whole week engaging in pornography, masturbation, just neck deep to where on the other side of that week, going back to the discipleship down in you know, the, the program down in Branson, I'm like so defeated, unbelievably defeated. And I, I remember having a conversation with the Lord, Lord, I guess I'm always going to be addicted. I guess I'm just going to have to learn how to manage this thing. I guess, you know, maybe we could figure something out where, you know, but it's probably going to be something that I'm always going to struggle with. And it was shortly after that. I can't remember if it was the night, that night or the night after, but I go to sleep and I have a dream that, that changed the, the, the course of my life. In the dream, I'm walking hand in hand with my future spouse. And... We're having an awesome conversation together. We're having just enjoying each other's presence and, and laughing and, and conversing together. And we're walking along. And in the dream, this homeless man off the street comes and stops us in our tracks. Yeah. And I remember thinking, what is this guy doing? He's approached us. This is kind of, this is weird. And he, in the dream, looks directly at me and my wife. And he points at her and he says, I want to have sex with your wife. In the dream, I'm taken back. I'm like, what in the world are you talking about as her husband? I, I begin to rise up in defense for her, and I begin to push <coughs> this man away from my husband. I said, you will not touch my wife. I will not let you touch my wife. You're not even going to lay a hand on her. And I do this for about eight or ten seconds. And I'm shoving him away from my wife, and I remember in the dream just looking back to her for some just confirmation from her. And I, I looked at her and I, I say to my wife, I said, you don't want to go with him, do you? And in the dream, she looked at me with just this blank face and she said, you know what? Actually, I do. And I, I was taken back in the dream. I, I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, what do you mean you want to go with him? And I remember in the dream, I just began to weep. Bitterly. 
And I, I fell down on the ground right there in front of both of them and just began to weep and groan. Weeping over the fact that my wife wanted to go with him. And I remember in the dream watching this man who was not her husband come and scoop her up and walk off into the abyss, leaving me in a puddle of my own tears. And I woke up from that dream and it was like in the movies where I woke up, I sat up, and I was sweating, I was breathing heavily, and I knew that I had just had a dream from the Lord, and the Lord spoke to me right there in my bed to sort of coincide with the dream. He says, Nathan, in the dream, you were actually your wife. I was the husband. Whenever you turn to pornography, it's like in your dream, whenever your wife turns to the homeless man over you. You know, you know I'm going off, I'm adding to that, what he spoke to me now. But neither we, we walked in such amazing communion together. And I would never let anyone touch you. You have my protection. We have intimacy together. Relational history that's been built. I would never let anything come against it. But you can willingly bypass that and give yourself to this thing. And then I'm, I'm hearing him and he speaks the second thing. He says, Nathan, the second thing, whenever you do that, it breaks my heart. Oh, it breaks my heart, Nathan. And I just, I've thought about the dream so many times throughout the years. I've shared it so many times. And Something that's so powerful to me is the emotion that came from bridegroom Jesus. Yeah. He, wasn't, he wasn't angry with me. He was, his heart was ripped out of his chest. Wow. And I believe that he gave me a glimpse through that experience. That, that was more than just a, a dream. It's more than just a... Uh, awesome story. I had a spiritual experience that day where he gave me a glimpse of his heart. He answered that prayer that I began praying when I was 16 years old, wrapped up in that sexual relationship. Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. He gave me a glimpse of how it broke his heart. And it broke mine. And in a moment, the chains of porn and masturbation addiction were broken off of me. And I can testify to this day that every single Thanksgiving, I celebrate another year of freedom from, from pornography and masturbation. But tonight, I want to I always share that tonight because this freedom is not just for me. Yes, that's right. Jesus is the great liberator. Yes, yes. Luke 4.18, Jesus says this of himself. He takes up the scroll of Isaiah 61. He says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to set captives free. Yes. Yeah. This right. is who he is just as much as he is the great counselor. Yeah. And he is. Yes. He is the great liberator. And we just felt yeah. burdened tonight. To share that testimony of freedom. That freedom is our portion in Jesus. Amen. That this addiction to sexual 
immorality, whatever it looks like in this room for different individuals, this is not your portion in Jesus Christ. That freedom belongs to us. And that he wants to release that same freedom over the men in this room. Yeah. And he, he gives us strategies. And he gives us people who will walk along with us along the way. But he can also break in and do it in a moment. And we believe he wants to do that tonight. We believe that whenever his word is, is, goes forth, that there's grace. That means divine power to accomplish his word in the moment. And we think that's here tonight. And in, in fact, I think of um, when, when Jesus spoke to the woman who was caught in adultery in John chapter 8. You know, again, you know the story. Jesus spoke such grace, extended such grace to her, right? At the same time, he, he said, where are your condemners? Neither do I condemn you. But then in that moment, he spoke words of liberation to this woman. He spoke forth, I believe, the power to walk in a new life. He said, go and sin no more. Right? He, and here's the deal. You think Jesus said that and thought, oh, she's just going to fall back in. Joel, go back to that deal. Thing that she was doing. No. Jesus spoke that forth with full assurance that she was going to walk out of there a changed person, a new person. She was going to walk into a new life. We are a new creation whenever we encounter Jesus. He, he literally changes our identity. He gives us a new identity. Right? I think that's what happened when he spoke to this woman. He released grace to her. Grace empowered words yeah. to walk, to leave her old life behind and walk in a new one. And I, I just want to invite the guys who, who led us in worship to come on up. And we just we want to move into tonight before we even go to our to our breakout groups and we do communion. We really want to take a few moments and just have a time of ministry. And I, I really believe that Jesus, the liberator, wants to move in this room on hungry hearts, on ones perhaps who have been crying out to him for years, maybe decades. And I, I believe that he wants to release the same anointing of freedom. More than that, I believe he wants to release grace in this room for the generations to partner together. Yes. Anything that we share tonight, we, we just really want to go into a time where we release it. Release it over this room. Do it in, in, in the men in this room. Anything that you've heard tonight, you can grab a hold of by faith. And I just love, Dad, I love that, what you're talking about, just the grace of God. And I just want to turn you guys on to this, mm -hmm. this scripture in Titus chapter 2. It gives, it gives this fuller perspective of the grace of God. We love the grace of forgiveness over us. We love that. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Praise God. But here's what it says in verse 12. It says, Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age. Here's the point. The same grace that forgives gives power to set free. 
That's the point. We sing, I sang a song a couple of days ago. It's an old hymn, right? The precious blood of Jesus washes away our sin. The same blood makes us whole again. It's one and the same. The blood that forgives, the grace that forgives, also trains us to walk in upright, self-controlled lives in this present age. In other words, we don't have to wait till death comes and finally saves us from our sin. That, that's a horrible idea. That makes death our Savior instead of Jesus. Jesus is here right now. And, and He is extending grace to set us free.